All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Again, I just uh, want to reiterate just how special it is to, to look out and see so many extended family members for this special day. I just, I just love the family connectivity uh, here at the church. Uh, friends, neighbors, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, cousins, um, all here to celebrate the work of the gospel and the life of some pretty special folks here at Liberty Hills. And so I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and coming and being a part of, of this day and to support them. Uh, this is our, our first baptism service. Uh, quite frankly, we have been somewhat of a transient mobile church for really most of our existence. So we have not been in the good habit of regularly practicing baptisms because we couldn't. Uh, it, was, it was few and far between because we just didn't have a baptistry available to us and we would have special lake services or, or uh, a, a pool at a hotel or all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, now we have a baptistry and it dawned on us, uh, shame on us, that uh, this Sunday is actually our year anniversary here in the building. And uh, so we have committed as elders to now make baptism a part of our, our monthly cadence. Uh, we will observe both ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism on the fourth Sunday of each month. So uh, for some reason, if you weren't able to be a part of this, uh, this round of baptisms, um, please let us know that you have a desire for that, and we can certainly uh, make that available to you in the days ahead. We're excited to be able to have a facility that we can observe the baptism of, or the ordinance of baptism more frequently, and hope that'll be a blessing and a help to our church. But it was one year ago today uh, that we worshiped for the first time uh, here in this building. And uh, if you were here for that service, uh, you can think back on how special of a day uh, that was. And uh, similar to this, it was, it was a full house, there was extended family, and many were just gathering here to celebrate the work of God. Uh, here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, and, and we're excited a year later to have a very similar uh, atmosphere about us here in the building. Uh, but one thing remains, uh, and, and those that have been a part of Liberty Hills for a while, so many years we, we proclaimed boldly that uh, the church is not what? It's not a building. You've probably heard that a couple times over the years, right? And maybe you, maybe you grew weary of hearing that uh, year after year, but, but here we are, and uh, it's important for us to note that the church still is not a building. Amen? Amen. The church is, is people. It's us. It's you and it's me. Uh, the body of Christ fitly joined together. This building over the last year that uh, we came into after signing papers just really a couple days before, uh, it was foreign to us. But over the last year, this, this place has become, has become home. A home where we can gather to worship the Lord. As I looked around this morning and just paused strategically throughout worship a few times just, just to listen. It was so joyful to hear that joyful noise coming from the body of Christ. One voice, 
collectively together worshiping the holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's become a place where we can gather to worship. It's become a light in our community, in the extended neighborhoods that God has placed you, an extension of Liberty Hills Bible Church to go out from this place, equipped with the Word of God to do the work of the ministry, to reach a community with the gospel. We don't reach the community with a fancy logo and a catchy brand. We reach a community with the timeless truth of the gospel. So on this day, again, I thought it would be appropriate for us to remind us once again that the church is not a building. It is the people of God God called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Using this imagery, you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. Ephesians 4 is going to be somewhat of a a springboard for our text. Uh, We don't often preach topically. We've taken a strategic pause in our Hebrew series to just have a standalone sermon specifically on the ordinance of baptism. So I hope it will encourage you. I hope it will bless you. I hope maybe you'll go away appreciating and valuing the ordinance of baptism maybe just a little bit more than when you came here this morning. But Ephesians chapter number 4, Paul paints this picture, uses this analogy, this imagery of the body, this physical anatomy that that the church is, is people, you and me, fitly joined together for a very purpose. And verse number 11, Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That sounds good on a doctrinal statement. We would probably give an amen to that reality that, yeah, we should build each other up in love within the context of the local church, but how do we practically do this? Individually, how, are, how do we engage in this activity of building up the church in love, the body of Christ fitly joined together? What does it look like? Let's jump up to the beginning of Ephesians 4. Verse number 1 reads this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in 
all. This is the heart of God for the church. And on this year anniversary, I thought we would just read Ephesians 4 and let these scriptures be the foundation by which we can jump into this conversation concerning the ordinance of baptism. The title of our message this morning is Raised to Life. Raised to Life. So you may be asking the question, what in the world does Ephesians 4 have to do with baptism? Maybe you noticed in verse number 5, you saw the word baptism. There is one baptism, but that's it. So again, my goal in in drawing our attention to Ephesians 4 this morning is, is that we would tee up things. That Ephesians 4 would remind us that baptism is just one thread of this incredible tapestry that God is weaving in this world through the church, the bride of Christ. God's redemptive plan is to be fulfilled by the church. Friends, do you believe that? Do you affirm that? Are you engaged in God's redemptive plan as a part of the body of Christ, the local church? Because, friends, the reality of it is this, that God's redemptive plan is being fulfilled in this world. And God's grace is faithful to draw sinners to repentance even in our day. He's still in the business of saving souls. He's still in the business of building His church. That is a promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, friends, young and old, God is drawing sinners to repentance. What, a, what an incredible privilege it is to come alongside those that God has drawn to Himself, repenting of their sins, admitting that they're a sinner, sinner, trusting in the Lord Jesus alone for their salvation, and now taking the step of obedience to follow the Lord Jesus in believers' baptism. So this morning, we're not going to be able to present an exhaustive apologetic for believers' baptism. For the sake of time, we want to be conscious of it. But what we are going to attempt to do is just to examine three simple characteristics of believer's baptism that will hopefully aid in our biblical understanding and application of baptism right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. The first point we're going to look at this morning is baptism is an ordinance of the local church. It may be a a dumb moment for us here this morning, but it's an important one, an important one for us to clarify what exactly we mean by this reality that baptism is an ordinance of the local church. Before we dive into that, one comment here. One of the key ways that we are able to consistently build up the body in love, as Ephesians 4 has challenged us to do, one way that we can do that, and and one way that we consistently do that month after month, year after year, is us as the body of Christ faithfully observing the two ordinances of the church which are given to us by Jesus Christ Himself during His earthly ministry. What are those two ordinances? In our tradition of faith here at Liberty Hills, the two ordinances that we affirm and practice are the Lord's table or communion, as well as believer's baptism. The term ordinance. You may be saying, what in the world does that even mean? Uh, that's not a word necessarily that we use every day in, in our time. So, so what exactly is an ordinance? What do we mean by that? In its raw form, an ordinance is simply a Christian rite. It's associated with tangible elements such as water, bread, and the fruit of the vine. 
This would differ from other expressions of faith and faith traditions coming from the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. They would use the term sacrament. There are definitely some differences between an ordinance and a sacrament. The term ordinance, it came about in a time in church history in response to the Catholic church and Orthodox traditions. It stood in direct opposition to the unbiblical and in many cases unethical practices of sacraments and even indulgences within the Roman Catholic church. The Catholic church would affirm that by participation in the sacraments, there is an additional measure of grace being infused into the people of God. This belief is carried on in the sacramental theology by the Latin phrase ex opere operato, which would falsely claim that participation in these sacraments is necessary for salvation. That as one would engage in baptism, that there would be this special divine blessing that would come over and be imparted to the one receiving the sacrament. In this practice and tradition, the sacrament would be understood as necessary for their salvation. In contrast, the Protestant ordinance carries with it no additional measure of God's grace. Rather, participation in an ordinance is simply an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. Friends, the ordinance of baptism that we will affirm and observe and practice this morning, it symbolizes the saving work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has already been completed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Since the time of the Reformation, an ordinance would be understood biblically as a means for the believer to simply do what? Express their faith in Christ publicly and visibly to the church and the world that looks on. So baptism is first an ordinance of the local church. Second point this morning that we're going to look at regarding baptism is this. Baptism is a testimony of salvation. Baptism is a testimony of salvation. So again, you'll hear us use the term here at Liberty Hills, believer's baptism. Belief or faith in Christ is a prerequisite of baptism. As we've stated before, baptism does not save, it cannot save, and will not save. Only Jesus, only Jesus Christ and His work on the cross of Calvary, only that work can fulfill the regenerative work of salvation. So friends, it's important that we view baptism through the proper lens. What a joy it was over the last couple weeks, the last few days, to be able to get into homes and to meet individually, one-on-one with uh, young people and even their parents to simply hear the work of the gospel in their life, to share with us the testimony of their salvation. You know, it's quite awesome whenever you have an opportunity to hear somebody's testimony, to see the unique expression of that testimony of salvation. Circumstances are different. Your testimony is unique to you. Maybe you're a different age or you're at a different setting and maybe there was different scriptures or, or sermon or, or maybe the Lord through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, maybe He was just drawing Him to yourself through your own uh, searching through the Word of God. Whatever the dynamics might have been, your testimony is unique to you. 
But although there is a unique expression in our testimony, there is a common denominator in every true salvation testimony, and that is the gospel. The gospel of the Bible is the common denominator for all of our testimonies. If we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we better know the gospel of the Bible, or else we may not be saved. When we look at these testimonies and we have an opportunity to uh, observe the practice of baptism this morning, not everybody is going to share a lengthy testimony. I assure you that we've heard all those lengthy testimonies. Um, it was exciting, to, again, to affirm the work of the gospel in their life and to hear from them their desire to follow Jesus, to follow the Lord, that they have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Do you remember maybe a time in your life when you were saved and then ultimately subsequently baptized? Do you remember the, the special moment of that day when you committed to the church and you committed to the world that I want to follow Jesus. I want to identify with the personal work of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I want everybody to know that I'm following my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember that day? You remember maybe how excited you were, how that was a, a, an encouraging and uplifting time in your life as you remembered the work of the gospel in your life, friends? Maybe this morning, as you think about your own salvation testimony, maybe it's grown a little dim. Maybe after the years have gone by, maybe you've forgotten the joy of your salvation. Maybe you've forgotten how, maybe you've forgotten how incredible of a miracle it really is that Jesus saved you, that he drew him drew you to himself. And so this morning, let us think back on our own testimony. Let's reflect back on the gospel of the Bible. And as we sat in living rooms and sat at kitchen tables, by God's grace, we heard stories of admitting and repenting of sin before a holy God, believing in the Lord Jesus alone for their salvation and confessing and crying out the Lord to be saved. If you'll remember with me, the title of the message is Raised to Life. This is ultimately what baptism pictures. A person who is raised to life. Ephesians talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Him through Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verses 3 through 8, give us a beautiful picture of this gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So then baptism is a testimony declaring a believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. This is what baptism is. This is the testimony of the one who receives the ordinance of baptism 
They are declaring the testimony that this individual has placed their faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. Not a Savior of their own box and their own sorts, of their own terms, but it's a Savior of the Bible, Jesus Christ. So then baptism, again, is a, is a testimony of the desire to identify with that Jesus. Jesus modeled baptism for us early on in his ministry. Do you remember this? Matthew chapter number three. John the Baptist administers the baptism to Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove, and God the Father declares audibly as the heavens opened up, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we publicly identify with Jesus most clearly through baptism. And we think back in the first century Christians when they took this step of obedience to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be baptized by immersion, whether it be in the Jordan or, or wherever they were. This was a risky proposition for them to consider baptism. To identify with Jesus, this one who had been crucified, this one who had been murdered by the Romans. And so there's a soberness that comes over this decision to follow Jesus. Yes, and our day and age here in America, it's a very safe and, and clean and, and a safe environment for us to take this step of obedience. But friends, ultimately, we have to be willing to follow Jesus no matter what may come. Maybe there will be persecution. Maybe your friends will ridicule you. Maybe you will be made fun of for the stand that you will make in following Jesus. And friends, baptism unites us together with Christ, identifies us together with Him. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So then baptism is an ordinance, a Christian rite, by which faith in God's provision of salvation is expressed. Believer's baptism is not salvific, but testifies to the salvation that is already experienced through Jesus. Our third and final point this morning is this. Believe baptism is an ordinance. Baptism is a testimony. And third, baptism is a picture of the gospel. Baptism is a picture of the gospel. Believer's baptism is not only a testimony of the gospel, but is also a picture of the gospel. It's a declaration of the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old man, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Do you remember, Pastor Dave read Romans chapter number six? I'm going to read a portion of this passage just for our, our memory's sake. Romans chapter number six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Raised to life. This is the most prominent picture that is painted through the ordinance of baptism. An individual is transferred from death to life 
from a state of bondage to a state of freedom, from slavery to being adopted as a child of God. The old man is gone and the newness of life is before us. This is the opportunity that stands before us through the ordinance of baptism. This is the picture of the gospel that we see through baptism. So we practice this baptism how? By total immersion. Why? Because it most clearly portrays the believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Raised to life. Baptism is a picture of the gospel and is also a seal of our future hope. Just as we identify with Jesus in his death and burial, we also identify with Jesus in his what? His resurrection. An incredible hope there is for us to remember that just as we identify with Jesus in his death, we also identify with Jesus in his resurrection to walk in newness of life, as Paul says in Romans chapter number six. Because Jesus defeated sin, death, and hell. Because Jesus rose up from the grave on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, so will all whom Jesus has saved. We have this hope. So through total immersion, the believer in water, we see this picture of the gospel unfold before us. His death, his burial. And as we raise the believer up out of the water, we declare what? What do we declare? The same resurrection power The same resurrection power that brought Jesus up from the grave is the same power that is ours in Christ Jesus. So we too have the ability by God's grace and through the power of His Holy Spirit to walk in that newness of life as that old man is put to death. And as the new man, God's ways, God's purposes, and God's will unfolds before us in the days ahead. We can walk in that new life. Friends, this final picture for us to consider concerning baptism is that of evangelism and discipleship. As we affirm and practice believers' baptism, we should certainly celebrate the work of the gospel and the lives of these individuals. And there absolutely is so much to take away personally. But above all, Observing baptism for those that look on and for us, the body of Christ, right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, it should remind us of God's redemptive plan as it is unfolding among us. It should remind us that God in His wisdom has chosen us to make His appeal to the world. Baptism should cause us to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20, do you remember these great commission words that Jesus left his disciples? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This last and final picture of baptism is to remind us of our role as ambassadors, representatives 
of God the Father to this world through Jesus Christ. Salvation, friends, isn't about being saved. It's about knowing the one who has saved you. It's not about going to heaven or not going to hell. It's about fellowship. It's about understanding that same grace that saves is the same grace that keeps. And so friends and family alike, we're not called this morning to be distant observers of this ordinance of baptism. Rather, He has called us to come alongside. A disciple. And encourage and bear burdens and pray for these individuals to come alongside these individuals directly as well as their parents of these young people and aid and support in the work of grace-enabled discipleship through the context of the local church. God's plan is to use the church in this way and for His glory. And so friends, the challenge for us is the church that, that looks on and observes these individuals that take this step of obedience to the Lord in baptism. The, the question for us remains, are we going to do our part? Are we going to engage in the ministry that God has called us to do here at Liberty Hills? The work of salvation is done. It is finished. Jesus did that work completely. Nothing else needs to be added to it, not even baptism. But God has now called us to go and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And we have this promise that Jesus Himself is with us, even to the end of the age. Amen. Baptism is an ordinance of the church. Baptism is a testimony of the believer. And baptism is a picture of the gospel. Would you bow your head, close your eyes this morning as we close our preaching time in prayer. God, I pray that these simple truths of your word and these observations about believers' baptism that we see in Scripture. I pray that uh, it would ring true in our heart and our minds. And even now as we transition to um, actually administering and those that are looking on as observers, we have the opportunity to see the ordinance of baptism among us. I pray that it would stir our hearts. I pray that we would remember the day of our salvation. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. They haven't identified with Jesus in salvation. He cries out to everybody that has ever lived in this world. He says this, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you this morning? Is he just but a good teacher? Somebody that you know about and a Bible that sits on a shelf? Or do you know Jesus the same way that Peter declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? God's Word tells us, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's a, a spiritual death that results in a separation from God for all eternity, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you thankful this morning that God... A holy God made a way for sinful mankind to be reconciled, redeemed, and restored back into relationship with their Creator through Jesus. 
through sending his own son, taking on flesh, going to the cross of Calvary and shedding his blood for the payment of our sin. Jesus said of himself, he came as a ransom to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. And friends, we all are lost because of sin. We all need a savior. And Jesus is declaring, he's shouting out through the ordinance of baptism this morning that he is real, that Jesus has come, that he did go to a cross, that he did shed his blood, that he was buried, he went to a tomb, he defeated sin, death, and hell, and he rose up from the grave on the third day. And friends, this morning we can celebrate resurrection power. We can celebrate the gospel as these individuals Proclaim that they desire to unite and identify with the Lord of their salvation. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would seek out myself, another elder, maybe a, a church member they came with. We would love to open up the scriptures and share with them the truth of the gospel. So Father, I pray even as we baptize, as we sing more and lift up our voices in worship, I pray again, you would be Glorified. So this morning, as amen, as we uh, transition, close out our time of preaching, I'm going to ask all of our baptism candidates, if you wouldn't mind uh, going ahead and coming up and sitting in this front row right here. All of our baptism candidates, you can come and you can uh, just sit here right on the front row. And we're going to have, uh, I believe, Mr. Dave, and we're going to have uh, Miss Lisa. We're going to have you guys go ahead and go in the back just so you can greet them and make you guys can come sit right up here on this front row. That would be perfect. And we're going to have our first group. So our first three that are going to be baptized are Miss Emma Stanley. And we're going to have Holly Swanson. And we're going to have Chase Williamson. So the three of you, Holly, Emma, and Chase, you can actually go back with Mr. Dave and Miss Lisa. Mr. Riley's going back there as well. Let's just pray one more time, if you will, that the Lord would be glorified in this time. God, I pray for all those that are being baptized right now. I pray that you would just quiet their hearts and their minds, that you would calm their souls right now, and that they would just remember the testimony of their salvation, and they would remember the joy that you have brought to their life because of the gospel. I pray again that everything that is said and done in this time would bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Andy, would you lead us in a song?